This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, let's try that again. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome back. I know we had a hiatus last week. I don't know, but I hope you missed me as much as I missed you. Because Thursday afternoon, I was feeling strung out. I was like, where's my people at? You know, I was just all by myself in Texas. You know, just it's not the same. Okay. Anyway, yeah, Texas. We went to go check out the rodeo. I'm trying to encourage. I'll tell you something. I'll just tell you something very impressive. First of all, I want to thank you all for coming. I want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshua Bethlehem and Partners Detroit for setting up this incredible Lunch and Learn. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's filled with close to 300,000 classes. You give that a shot. Okay? I challenge you to take the 300,000 class in 300,000 days challenge. Okay? That's my challenge to you. 300,000 classes in 300,000 days. Go for it. Come back. Report how it goes. Okay. Now, I'll tell you something. I think the most impressive thing I saw in Texas was we went to the stock show yesterday. Stock show is where people bring, who raise cattle or raise, you know, swine or sheep. They bring their animals to be shown. And they go to market and they get sold or auctioned off. Last year, the Fort Worth stock show, the highest, uh, the, the greatest amount of money that was sold for a steer. Now, mind you, steers are not able to have children. Steers are only made for, for eating meat, steaks and, you know, brisket and so on and so forth and chuck. And uh, the highest, the, 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 the best in show ended up selling for over half a million dollars. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty expensive steak. But really what it is, it's, it's the way they describe it to me, it's like people, they, they want to support the younger people's agricultural and ranching uh, endeavors. So when they're buying a steer for $500,000, the meat is not going to be that good. But it's more of a way, it's kind of like bragging rights. Like, I'm, I'm helping to support. It's a tax write-off. I'm helping to support young people involved in agriculture. But what we met was, we met, we went into these places. There were just rooms, like Texas-sized rooms. Just massive, massive, massive. And there's not one of them. There's multiples of them. And in it are just thousands. When I say thousands, I mean literally thousands of steers, okay? Steers are male Cows that are made for meat, not for breeding. Okay? Thousands of steers. And who are these steers being raised by? High school students. High school students, okay? These high school students spend between two and six hours a day taking care of their animals. We talked to a young woman. She had a, a heifer and two steers. She spends six hours a day with her animals. We spoke to a young uh, a sophomore, a young man. He spends about two and a half, two hours every day, and they take care of these animals, and they groom them. And I, I just I love the idea, the responsibility, right? The sense of responsibility these people take on. Show me high school students in the city who are taking care of anything for six hours a day. It's unbelievable. I just wanted to move out and buy a ranch, make all my kids raise animals, and then that's it. And then, you know, then daddy doesn't take care of them anymore. <laughs> Go raise the year, sell them at auction, whatever. You take care of it. No, but it, it was, I was very, very impressed to see so many hardworking young Americans who just take life seriously. We met another guy. This guy was a sophomore in college. Young man, so polite. Yes, sir. No, sir. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. Like, just super, super polite. He lives on a ranch. About He goes to school at Texas A&M West. Texas West A&M. Uh, he, goes, he lives on a ranch. It's about six and a half hours away. The ranch is run by him, his father, his uncle, and his brother. Four men. Okay. They have between 800 and 900 head of cattle. When he is in the middle of high season, which is in the summer, he said, I'm out before sunrise. Sunrise, if it's 5 o'clock, he's out before sunrise. And he says, after, it's already nighttime, we've got somebody kind of watching over, but the rest of us have to go bale hay, because for whatever reason, the, the hay can only be baled at night. Don't ask me why, but he'll get to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and be back out Riding out in the heat, in the blazing heat, in the middle of the day. I was like, and these guys are this nice and friendly and kind. They speak with such good manners. and It, it was impressive. Which, is, which is just brings up what, what the sages tell us, that good, hard work is good for a person. It's a verse in, in the book of Job. A person is made to be working hard. 
When you're working hard, you're just a better human being, right? When, when young people just have all this time on their hands, you know, like you go to public school today, how many days a year are they in school? Maybe 180 if they're lucky, right? And then what day, what time are they? They're finished by 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. It's absurd. It's incredibly unhealthy. And no, they don't have jobs. Most of them don't have, most kids today, you know, a lot of kids today, I don't want to say most, but a lot of kids, they don't have jobs. So you go to school from 8 o'clock to 2 o'clock, you go to school five days a week, and then you're off every day that might be perceived as a holiday, right? You're off for like, you know, it's not called Christopher Columbus Day anymore, I'm sorry, that's racist, whatever it's called today, you know, Native American Day, and then you're off for Theodore Roosevelt's birthday, and you're off for, for Eleanor Roosevelt's birthday, and then you're off for their, 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 their dog's yard site, and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So what do you? And, and, but it's not healthy. It's not healthy for children to have so much time on their hands. It's not healthy for adults to have so much time on their hands. You know what the Gemara says? The Gemara says if you have too much time on your hands, it leads to two things: losing your mind or losing your morals in the areas of promiscuity. Right? And and sure enough, we see. <laughs> it seems like too many people today are losing both their minds and their morals in terms of promiscuity. So it was just—it was very refreshing. I, I would say to me, the most impressive thing in Texas that I saw was this this thing, just going through. And, and by the way, it's, it's not only in Texas. In Michigan too, they have 4-H club and all that. I get it. Just in Texas, everything's just bigger, bigger scale, you know. <laughs> they said a joke. It's a little off. Yeah, yeah, it's whatever. Okay, I'll save that joke for later. <laughs> I'll say it now. It's really not that off color. <laughs> this guy, uh, he goes to Texas for the first time, and um, I had a car like that. And he he goes to the lot to go to the rental car. You know, usually you get these little economy box, you know, rental cars and all that. Every car out on the lot is like this massive, you know, F three fifty dually, whatever it is. He's like, it's so weird. Like where I come from, the rental cars are these little economy cars. Guy says, well, you're in Texas now. Okay. In Texas, everything's big. So he goes to the hotel. The lobby is like, he has to walk four minutes just to get across the lobby. He says, this is unbelievable. I've never seen such a beautiful, big, gigantic, you know, lobby. And the person says, well, you're in Texas now. Everything's huge. Okay. So then he goes into his room and... uh, his room, he gets checked into the hotel. The room is massive. He says to the bellboy, he says, wow, these rooms are massive. He says, in Texas, everything's big. Okay, fine. So finally, he goes down uh, to the workout center. And he's working out in the hotel. He's doing these runs and all that. And then he, he has to use the restroom. And uh, he's like, by mistake, there's two doors. One, one is for the pool and one is for the restroom. They always have them next to each other because the shower is in the restroom. And by mistake, he walks into the room with the pool. And he just like, he walks right in. He's in a rush and he walks right in and he just falls in the pool. And so he turns around he's like, don't flush! (laughs) Okay. Don't flush. Okay. All righty. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get down to our parsha. We have now officially wasted way too much time. In this week's Torah portion. In this week's Torah portion, parshas by Yisro. And by the way, it's not all wasted time though. Because the most important lesson is make sure... The people that you love, children, grandchildren, whatever they are, make sure they're busy because it's, it's healthy. It's, it's really, really healthy for a person to be busy, especially young people. Okay, Yisro. This week's Torah portion starts with the story of Yisro. Yisro was Moshe's father-in-law. Moshe's father-in-law, when Moses ran away from Pharaoh after he killed the Egyptian, he ran away. He ended up marrying Zipporah, the daughter of Yisro. Yisro had been a person who, at one point, was at the pinnacle of... He was like the, the, uh, the Pope, so to speak, of the idol worship societies. He was like the, uh, <clears throat> the grand, whatever they call them, in, 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 in idol worshiping societies. Hold on a second. Thank you very much. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shachol Niyem Edvaro And he had left it he, he left it when he realized that it wasn't true eventually he, uh, he marries his daughter off to Moshe but when Moshe is going back to Mitzrayim 
Moshe leaves his wife and his two children back with their father-in-law. He says, there's terrible things happening to the Jewish people there. i got to go back to try to save the people, but we don't need any more people to be stuck in that very terrible land right now. So he says, I'll send for you when things are good. And indeed, when things are good, Yisro comes and brings Tzipporah, Moshe's wife, and his two children to come. Gershon and Eliezer. Now, It says the following. So Yisro comes. Let's read over here. Yisro comes. By Yisaper Moshe, this is Perak Yurches, chapter 18, verse 8. And by the way, it's amazing. By Yisaper Moshe, Lechosno, Eis Kol Asher Asa Hashem Lepharo Ulumitzrayim, and Moshe tells over to his father-in-law all that Hashem did to Paro and to Mitzrayim al Odos Yisrael on behalf of the Jewish people. All the travail, all the difficulties, the challenges that had befallen them on the way, and that Hashem had rescued them. And Yisro rejoiced over all the good that Hashem did to the Jewish people, to Yisrael, Asher Hitzilo, Miyad Mitzrayim, that He saved him from Egypt. Now when it says that He saved him from Egypt, who is the him referring to? Anybody know? Yisrael, the Jewish people, right? Sometimes we talk about the, the group in, in, in the singular, right? Because it's saying, all that Hashem had done to Yisrael, the Jewish people are known sometimes in the singular, especially in this week's Torah portion, uh, and he says, I'm so glad for what Hashem had done for Yisrael. So that's a simple explanation. There's another explanation given, like this. There's a medrash that tells us that there were three people who were involved in the determination of the final solution. The Jews did not have just one final solution, unfortunately. The Jews have gone through many times. There's been a, a number of times where there's been an attempt to kill the entire Jewish people. The first one was in Egypt. When we came up with the, the, when we came up, they came up with this brilliant idea, let's kill all the Jewish males. Uh, we'll throw them in the water, right? That was the attempt to kill off the Jewish people. Now, the, the Gemara tells us in Tractate Sota, page 11a, Dafyud Aleph, Amud Aleph, that there were three people involved. There were, Paro, at that time, had three top advisors. His first one was a man named Eov, Job. His second one was a man named Yisro, Jethro. His third one was a man named Bilam. Bilam. <laughs> there's no translation for Bilam. There's Jethro, there's Job. Okay, now, what happened? So, Paro said, and clearly the people at the time were interested in removing the Jewish people from reality. Now the question we always have to ask ourselves is, is the government going to follow the people's wishes or is the government going to lead? Right? There's a statement in, in the sages that says when the Mashiach will come, Pnei Hadar Kepnei HaKelev. The leaders of the generation are going to be like the face of a dog. What does it mean, the face of a dog? Watch somebody walking a dog. Who's leading? The dog is leading, right? The dog's always walking in front. But whenever the dog gets to a, a crossroads, the dog kind of looks back at its masters. Do we go left or do we go right? The leaders of the generation before Mashiach are going to be bending in the wind at the whims of the people. And if you don't see that happening right now, wow, right? I mean, we don't even know. There's, there's a good question if the leader even knows what rules he's putting out. I mean, for real, there's legitimate reason to ask does the leader of the free world even know what, what he's tweeting or what he's saying or what rules he's putting out? Is he aware? I don't know. But 
I know this much. Whatever it seems, they, they seem to be looking at the people, oh, the people want to riot and burn and loot. No problem. We'll let them riot, burn, and loot. So in Paro's time, the people are coming clamoring to Paro, saying these Jews, they're, they're going to be problematic. We should get rid of them. So Paro goes to his three closest advisors and says, what should we do? Now Yisro is the only one who has the courage and the fortitude to speak up and say, we shouldn't do anything. These people are good people. They're good for our country. They're good for our economy. They're good for our culture. They're good for our society. They're giving, and they're kind, and they're generous, and they're studious, and they're industrious. They work hard. They're innovative. They bring in all kinds of inventions to market. Look how much good they're doing. Let's not do anything to them. But because that's not the will of the people, Yisro understands you've got to get out of Dodge, right? Because if you go against the current ideology, you're going to get pilloried. You're going to get skewered. So he goes out and he speaks his true mind, which is we shouldn't do anything to the Jewish people, and he ends up having to run away. But the same person who had the courage and the fortitude to speak his mind in a room where clearly the temperature was saying, kill the Jews, and he said, no, we shouldn't, he was also the person who later had the same kind of courage and fortitude that even though he was the grand priest of the idol-worshipping society, he could turn away from it all and say, guys, this is not true. I'm leaving it all behind. And he suffered for that too. No one would help him. They turned their backs at him. He had to have his daughters shepherding his sheep. No one would work with him. But he did it because he knew it was true. This is a man who's got courage and principles. Then you've got Eov. Eov knows that it's wrong to hurt the Jews. But he doesn't say anything. It's not popular. It's not good. What happens to him? He gets afflicted. And he can't say anything. Right? That's his measure for... Oh, I forgot to say, and Yisro, the one who is principled and courageous, what ends up happening? He ends up having his daughter marry the greatest teacher of the Jewish people. His name is emblazoned on our parsha for forever. He gets incredible reward. Eov, Job, who should have spoken up and defended the Jewish people but didn't, he ends up going through incredible suffering where he can't speak up. There's nothing for him to say. That's his whole test. And then you have Bilaam. Bilaam is the wicked one. He says, let's kill them all. Here's how we'll do it. What ends up happening to Bilaam in the end? Bilaam ends up getting killed by the Jewish people. He gets his measure for measure too. And in heaven, right now, terrible things are happening to him. There's a Gemara that talks to you about what the end story of Bilaam is. It's not good. Now, Yisro doesn't know the full story. He knows certain details that shook the world. He knows the story of the splitting of the sea. He knows the story of Amalek coming to fight against the Jewish people and, and them being incredibly you know, routed, they being destroyed. But he doesn't know all the story. So Moshe tells over to his father-in-law all that happens. And Yisrael was so happy for all the goodness that Hashem did for the Jewish people. That he saved him. I'm sorry, Miyad Mitzrayim from the hand of Mitzrayim. Him according to this pshat, according to the Maharil Diskin, Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin from Brisk. He said, Yisro was so happy Hashem had saved him when you realize what your life could have been had you stayed there and gone along with the current thing. And you realize, wow, thank God, I, Hashem saved me from being part of that depraved culture and part of the, pray, the, the, the unbelievable comeuppance they ended up facing. Yisro did a principled act of strength and valor, and he ends up running away, but when he hears how depraved the Egyptians were, and how terrible their afflictions were, he looks back and says, wow, there but for the grace of God, go I. And I think we really see that I have a friend of mine, his name is Rabbi Mordechai Kreitenberg. 
He's a great man. He lives in New Jersey. He runs a program called Heritage Retreats, which every year takes out men and women on these beautiful retreats out into the wilderness. If you'd like to see more about them, you can go to www.heritageretreats.com. And uh, just now, just this past winter, we were out. They, they actually bought a, a place. They used to go all around Yellowstone, Yosemite, Zion, Bryce, uh, Banff, and Lake Louise. It was very nice. It was like, do Jewish outreach, see the world. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was very enjoyable. But now they bought a property in Montana. And Baruch Hashem, they built a beautiful campus there. And they do retreats for men, retreats for women, winter retreats, summer retreats. So, often on these retreats on Shabbos, when the cameras aren't rolling, we do a round table with the rabbis where it's more, not as much a, not as much a round table to ask us like Jewish theological questions, but kind of to ask us about our lives. And it's an opportunity for us to be very open and personal. Almost every trip we get the question, what made you decide to become a rabbi? So Rabbi Kreitenberg tells the following story. Now, Rabbi Kreitenberg grew up, as he, as he says, in the last remaining Jewish ghetto in America. Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> so he grew up, he grew up in Beverly Hills, and his, almost his entire high school was Jewish, right? Obviously very far removed from religion. And he ended up going on his own path, and he ended up becoming religious. And he studied in yeshiva for many years. And he was back and forth. He had done some real estate before. He studied at UC Berkeley. He, uh, he was doing real estate in LA before going off to yeshiva. He went off to yeshiva. He got married. He started having a family. He said he was back in LA for a visit for whatever it was. And they happened to be having, I think it was his 20-year reunion. Maybe it was just a, even just his 10-year reunion. For his Beverly Hills High School, right? Beverly Hills. So he goes there, and he's there with his, with his wife. You know, they probably already have, by that time, Kennehart, they have a large family, so they maybe, maybe they have three, four children already. And he's walking around the room, and he's looking at all these people. And he's just seeing this, this incredible emptiness. An incredible, incredible lack of meaning, lack of drive, lack of satisfaction, lack of joy. It, it's, it's just one person after the other blustering and, 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 and boasting or just like you just, you, he said he, he walked around and he just, he felt such enormous sadness for what he was seeing, that all these beautiful Jewish neshamas were so, so just you know, Esther, Queen Esther, says to the king, when he's going to make a decree to kill the Jews, he said, if you at least made us slaves, and you were getting benefit out of it, I would be quiet, because at least you'd get some benefit out of it. But you're getting nothing out of it, and your whole kingdom's going to lose, so it's not worth it. What are you doing? He's like, he was walking around this big ballroom, and you know, all the people there, and meeting all these people that he, he was in school with for all these years, and he said, if they were at least happy, then okay, fine. So they don't, they don't need the Torah life necessarily. If they were happy, I, I would be happy for them. But he said there was such an incredible sadness in that room that he just, at that point, was he decided, I need to spread this message of Judaism that has given me such joy and such meaning and such purpose and such drive, such a reason for living, to give and to build. And that's when he decided to become a rabbi, at this reunion. Seeing, there but for the grace of God go I. Par Yisro is now hearing. He didn't know the whole exact story, but when Moshe comes and tells his father-in-law the whole story of the entire depravity and all the suffering that was wrought upon the Egyptians because of their bad choices, suddenly... Yisro is happy for all the good that Hashem did for the Jewish people, but even more so, Asher Hitzilo Miyad Mitzrayim. Thank God, Hashem, 
You saved me from being part of Egypt. Because had I not been in that room, had I not made the right choice, the courageous choice to do the right thing, and then had to run away subsequently, I would have been there too. So many choices in life are difficult when you make them. But the farther you get down the road on those choices, the difficult ones, right? There's a famous line in Harry Potter. It's at the end of one of the... I don't remember which, which one it's at the end of. But uh, Albus Dumbledore says to Harry Potter, Dark times are coming, Potter. <laughs> Harry. No, I think he calls him Harry. Dark times are coming, Harry! People are going to have to choose between what is right and what is easy. It's easy to go along. It's easy to follow the masses. But when you make those courageous choices, it's difficult. But the further you go down the line, the more you look and say, Wow! There but for the grace of God go I. How happy Yisro is to hear about the choices that he made and how it saved him from being part of this culture. So every difficult choice for the right thing is rewarded with these same kind of moments that Yisro has. The later moments where we're giving thanks for where we could have been had we not made those choices. That's number one. Number two. So, by Yomer Yisrael, let's just continue on the next parsha. So Yisrael is happy to hear all the good things that happened to the Jewish people. By Yomer Yisrael, and Yisrael says, Baruch Hashem asher hitzil aschem miyad Mitzrayim umiyad paro. Blessed is Hashem who saved this nation from the hand of Mitzrayim, from the hand of, who saved you from the hand of Mitzrayim and the hand of Paro. Asher Hitzil Asa'am Mitachas Yad Mitzrayim that saved the people from under the hand of, of Egypt. Ata Yodati, now I know Ki Hashem Mikol Ha'elohim. Now I know that Hashem is truly greater than all the other gods. And he was the one who could say it. Because he had been the grand poobah of the idol worshiping clans. He had gone around to every other god. When he said, I now know that God is greater than all the other gods, he was a man speaking from experience, because he had tried them all out. Meaning, I, I know that I'm very happy to be a Jew. I know that I'm very happy, and, and I, I can tell you why I believe in Judaism over all the religions. But I definitely can't say, I, I, definitely, I didn't spend an enormous amount of time studying the Church of the Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons, who I know they got some kind of golden plates, the angel Moroni in the desert, and they got married to a lot of women, or whatever, there's, there's stories there, you can, you know, there's a lot going on over there, I don't know for sure, I didn't study every single religion, but Yisro actually did, so he says, now I know that God is greater from all the, the other gods, that Hashem is greater than all the other gods, Kiba davar shares Everything worked out exactly measure for measure. They tried to kill the Jewish people in the water. Where'd they end up? Drowning in the water. And every single one of the ten plagues had a perfect symmetry with what they did. Every one of the ten plagues, something that they did to the Jewish people ended up happening to them. Now what's interesting here is that first he says, I want to bless Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Blessed is Hashem Asher Hitzel And then only after that he says, Now I know that God of the Jewish people is greater than all the gods. You would think normally the proper pathway is build up your emuna, build up your faith, right? And then give thanks to God. But here he gives thanks to God, and then he says, And now I know, now I have faith, so to speak. Now I know. You hear the question? What has to come first normally? You've got to believe in God, and then you thank God. I'll tell you, Dati, now I know that God is the great one. He says, after he thanks God. Yeah? Good question? Okay. At home, in my do-not-flush room, 
in my restroom, uh, we've got a pile of books. But amongst them are a couple of books. I'm right now in the middle of reading a new one. There's a book there called uh, The Body by Bill Bryson. It's an unbelievable book that talks all about what happens in your body. Everything. All the different systems, all of how it works, how it doesn't work. It's unbelievable. It's like 700 pages. I've read it twice already. And then I just got a new book called Just Six Numbers. Someone recommended it to me. I was at a, I gave a class one day. It was about thank, it was a Thanksgiving morning. I gave a class called I Thank God for Science. There was a show that everyone was off that day, so they had a, they had a lunch, they had a breakfast and learn, and, and I spoke there. So uh, I spoke about how much I appreciate God for science, because it's unbelievable. And after the class, someone came over and said, you got to read this book called Just Six Wor- uh, Numbers. And in the middle of it, it's, it's a pretty dense scientific... Uh, Bill Bryson definitely writes with a lot more color and a lot more joy. This guy is a much more scientific writer, but it's, it's, it's really amazing when you find the actual preciseness of everything in the universe. The preciseness is unbelievable. And the, the thesis of this book, Just Six Numbers, is that there are basically six numbers that if these numbers were not exact, we'd all be gone. There's probably way more than that. I'll give you a simple example. The number 79. 79. What, where, anybody know where the number 79 plays in nature? Anybody know? The number 79... Now, if you're watching this and you, and you want to yell it out to the screen, you can yell it out to the screen. If you're watching it on Zoom and you're muted, you can yell it out to the screen too. But anyway, okay. The, the number 79, ladies and gentlemen, is the percentage of the atmosphere that is nitrogen. Now, why is that important? Okay, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. You ready? What do we breathe? Oxygen. Oxygen is definitely pretty cool, right? We send little packages of oxygen all around our body, and our body takes that little oxygen, combines it with sugar, and makes it into energy. Now, just for the record, literally this morning. Does anybody know what simple syrup is? Simple syrup. What did you say? Sugar and water. Exactly. It's sugar and water, and it's used in making all kinds of cocktails. Okay? So if you want a cocktail to try for Shabbos, here's a simple one. Bourbon, simple syrup, two dashes of bitters, and pineapple juice. Huh? I just added the pineapple juice to a regular old-fashioned. I made it new-fashioned. Right? The old-fashioned is whiskey, simple syrup, and bitters, and I just added pineapple juice and made it new-fashioned. Give it a shot. Get back to me. But, okay, that is a... Something called simple syrup. So simple syrup is just it really is simple. It's just sugar and water. In your body, unbelievably, your body breaks everything down to just simple sugars. That's it. You eat steak, you know what it ends up in your body as? Simple sugars. You eat crackers, you know what your body ends up turning that into? Simple sugars. What? Amino acids as well, if it's steak. Amino acids. Amino acids are other end result. That is true. There are other byproducts, but the point is that your body is able to take anything and make simple sugars out of it. You're right, there are other byproducts. There are going to be vitamin C that your, or vitamin B that your intestines will absorb. There's, there's a lot of other things too. But I'm saying one of the things that, what's amazing about your body is your body can literally take bread and make sugar out of it, steak and make sugar out of it, butter and make sugar out of it. Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Now, by the way, you know what it cannot make sugar out of? Kale. For the record. Okay, fine. <laughs> Kale. Okay, now, so, your body takes oxygen plus simple syrup and makes energy so you can stand, you can walk, you can dance, you can do whatever you want to do. Unbelievable. So oxygen is really, really, really important. The problem with oxygen is that it is highly flammable. Oh, it's not highly flammable? Yes, it is. Yeah, it totally is highly flammable. Take a bottle of oxygen, you will not be able to set it on fire. Because the bottle of oxygen is made so strong to prevent fire, but if you take a bottle of oxygen, you turn the oxygen spigot on, and you light it, as a matter of fact, that's why firefighters, right? Firefighters have to be very, very careful when they open up a room or a door, because what do we, what do, we do to stop a fire from spreading? Smother it. Smother it. If you take a, if, here's a simple experiment. Take a candle, 
and put the cover on top. The candle goes out. Why, why does it go out? Because there's no more oxygen to eat. Fire needs oxygen to live. Fire is inc- oxygen is highly flammable, okay? If our world was 50% oxygen and 50% carbon dioxide, you know what would happen to us? We would step outside to light a cigarette. Oh, no, we would never do that, right? Because we would die immediately. But even if we didn't step outside to light a cigarette, we'd be driving our car and the metal would scrape on the floor and it would hit the oxygen and the whole world would blow up. If the the atmosphere was 50% oxygen, all the first person with that poor little caveman trying to make a fire, rubbing that flint together, he finally hits the first strike and boom, the whole world explodes. Because oxygen is very, very flammable. So what does Hashem do? Hashem makes the world 79% nitrogen. Nitrogen is an, an inert gas. We need the carbon dioxide to feed the plants that make the oxygen, right? So we have carbon, about 1% carbon dioxide. We've got about 20% oxygen and 79% nitrogen. What does the nitrogen, uh, nitrogen do? Nothing, but that's a good thing. Unlike teenagers doing nothing, which is a bad thing, nitrogen doing nothing is exactly what it's supposed to do. And that's just another miracle of Hashem's. Okay, now, why do I like to read about science? Because it reminds me of how awesome God is. Read about the life of a termite. You'll find it to be fascinating too. Termite, yeah. You might not want termites in your house, but this, this, the, 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 the biology of a termite is unbelievable. How it munches on wood. It is unbelievable. Everything is unbelievable. Everything is unbelievable. The woodpecker that eats the termite is just as amazing too. How does the woodpecker smash his beak against the wood so strong that it would literally dislocate his neck? But he's got incredible biology just for, just for the woodpecker so that he can sit there and bang on a tree like a jackhammer and it doesn't... Imagine you jackhammered the floor. It would hurt your head, right? No, but, but the woodpecker who eats termite... Who eats the woodpecker? I don't know, but whatever it is, it's unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. The whole world is filled with wonder. Now, you would think you have to have faith first and then you find God. No. Go out and find the amazingness and the wondrousness of God and then you'll have much more faith. Go out there and say, Wow, Baruch Hashem, that Hashem created mountains. If Hashem didn't create mountains, there'd be all kinds of... We wouldn't have the rain systems that we have. Right? The, the clouds would just scuttle their way right over and go literally from one end of a, of a country to the other end without stopping. But no, Hashem puts up these things called mountains. Stop sign, cloud, go higher, get colder, turn into rain, fall down, turn into snow, fall down, we get rain. Unbelievable. Right? Wow, thank you. Thank you for rivers. Thank you for otters and seals. I don't even know why, what they do for me per se, but they're probably great for me too. Everything out there is wonder. Everything out there is wonder, and you must study wonder. How do I know this? Because Maimonides says so. What does he say? In Hilchos Yisodi Torah, in the laws of the fundamentals of Torah, chapter 2, Halacha 2, says Maimonides, What is the pathway to love God and to fear God? When a person contemplates and observes the great and wondrous works of his creation, Hagadolim, sorry, Haniflaim Hagadolim, these incredible, great, and wondrous creations. The Yiraman Chachmasa Sha'inla Arach Velokates, and you'll see the wisdom of God that has is it's unfathomable and it's infinite. Then a person will naturally come to love and to praise and to glorify God and to have a deep longing to get to know God even better and better. Yisro is the prime example. You tell him over all the miracles and he's like, wow, that's amazing. God is unbelievable. Blessed is God for doing all this, and what's the next step? And now I know, now I have the faith. People say, I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't feel God. You ain't looking. If you don't feel God, it's because you're not looking. All you got to do is look out. 
Learn about the 79% nitrogen that's just perfectly there to do nothing for your benefit. Learn about anything and everything from, from wood to hair. Do you know that your hair is made out of the same materials as your nails? That's why people say, I'm going to get my hair and nails done. It's a keratin day. <laughs> it's a keratin day today. I'm getting my hair and nails done, right? They're both made out of the same material. Did you know that? Did you know that your hair and your nails are the same thing? Did you? What about the nails? How amazing is the nails? You have a little multi-purpose tool at the end of every one of your fingers. Try to button your shirt without your nails on. It's, it's, un- it's un- unbelievable. Hashem gave us these little utility tools at the end of every one of our fingers. You need to, you need to take, open up a can of soda. You need to, whatever you got to do, you do it better. You need to pull the bark off of a leaf, uh, off of a, of a branch. Whatever you got to do, you do better because you have nails. And they're made out of the same materials here. Yisro is a prime example. The more he hears about God's greatness, the more he praises God for his greatness, and the more his strength is filled. I highly recommend that everyone here should have something, they, at some point, just have a book of biology, but like a, a pop book. When I say pop, like in pop culture, meaning like one that's more readable than the average you know, biology textbook. Just, I don't know, they, they take stuff that's so fascinating. What does school do? School takes things that are the most fascinating things in the world and makes it so dry that it hurts your eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> biology, right? Biology is fascinating. But then they, they give you these 8,000-page books that are filled with words that end in ASE or IUM or whatever. Like, you know, what is going on over here? But just tell people about the amazingness of the world. Read about Hashem's amazing creations, and that will fill you with Amuna, as it did for Yisro. Now, next... Wow. Okay. Let me do another piece here. In this week's parsha, Hashem tells Moshe to speak. Here we go. In this week's parsha, the Jewish people get to, to Mount Sinai, which of course is the site where they have this incredible encounter with God, the only time in human recorded history, again, the only time in human recorded history, there's not a single nation or people in the world that makes the claim to describe what happened in this week's Torah portion, that God came and spoke openly to millions of people. There's never been, not only a, another, another instance of that, there's never been even another claim of an instance. No one has even put forth that claim, unbelievably. So now, they get to Mount Sinai, and God is going to offer the Jewish people the Torah. Okay? So he says the following. Umosha Allah el elokim And Moses went up to God. love Hashem minahar lemar. And Hashem calls out to him from the mountain, saying, Ko somar lebeis Yaakov, v'sageid levnei Yisrael. So shall you say, to the house of Jacob, and you shall tell over and relate to the children of Israel. Now, what is this base Yaakov and Bnei Israel? So Rashi tells us, quoting the Gemara, okay, base Yaakov is referring to the women. Bnei Israel is referring to the men. To the women, it says Kosomar. The, the verb is, you shall say. And to the men, it's visagade and tell. Now, of course, in Hebrew, every language has its own sort of quirks of the language. But in Hebrew, the word tomar is a softer way than tagade. One is to tell over, say it over, state it. And one, for example, I'll give you that in English. What sounds more forceful, state or say? State, right? Command or tell? Command, right? Exactly. Okay, so that would be a good example to just grasp this one over here. Now what's fascinating is, is this idea that you could have one truth 
and many different ways of saying it. Okay? For example, how does this outfit make me look? There could be one truth to that answer, but many ways of saying it over. Some that are right, and some that are super, super wrong. Right? So for example, if a man said it to his friend, yo, how does this outfit make me look? First of all, just I don't think men talk like that. How does this outfit make me look? I don't think I've ever heard that from a man. But imagine a man says to his friend, how does this outfit make me look? The man can easily say back to his friend, dude, that looks redi- you look like an idiot. Take that off. Totally normal guy talk. Totally normal guy talk. And appropriate even. Because it does make him look like an idiot. And he should take it off and try on something else. Okay. Next example. That statement is being made by a wife to her husband. Honey, how does this, make me, how does this outfit make me look? Don't answer. There, the correct answer is wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. It really it looks beautiful. Do you also have that other outfit? I think last time, the one, the one you wore before that one was even better, though. Yeah? Right? Maybe. Maybe. That's even a maybe. That's maybe. Not even sure. Sometimes it's just, it's just wonderful. You know? And then she goes out for the night, and one of her friends says, you know, honey, this uh, outfit you're wearing? Yeah. She's like, really? But my husband said it looks wonderful. And she comes back to you, and she says, Honey, you said it looked wonderful. To me, you always look wonderful. Oh, there we go, right? Mm. There's different ways of saying things to different people. The Torah is teaching us, you got to know your audience. People sometimes say, I just had to say it to them like it is. (laughs) This rabbi told me, my brother told me, that a rabbi told him. He was a rabbi in, a, in an out-of-town community, maybe, I don't know, somewhere in, let's call it, North Carolina, not a large Jewish population, whatever it is. You know, I just, I just spent a couple of days in Plano, Texas. Plano's right near Dallas. So you've got Dallas, Fort Worth, Plano, whatever. It's like a big area. And we spent a lot of time in this show, in this, in this show called Data of Plano. That's the name of the show. Data is an organization in Dallas, but they have a Plano branch. It was, it was a real treat. The rabbi was unbelievable. There were two rabbis there, and they were both unbelievable. The community was so nice and so friendly. But, you know, when you have an out-of-town community like that, people are coming from all kinds of backgrounds, okay? So this guy told him, this guy told my brother that he, he was a rabbi in this out-of-town community where you have people on all different kinds of levels, from all different kinds of backgrounds. I mean, like, it's a very diverse crowd, Okay? And he had this rabbi who was coming from New York, you know, Brooklyn, or Lakewood, or whatever it was. So sometimes it's, it's a nice thing to do when a rabbi's visiting. You ask the rabbi, you know, maybe you could say a few words. Just it's a nice thing, it's a nice way. So this, this, guy, this rabbi was visiting literally for like a day on his way through. So they have mincha and they have mayriv, evening services and after, afternoon services and evening services. So he, he said to the rabbi, maybe you could say a few words in between the afternoon. Usually I speak for a few minutes, maybe you'll speak for a few minutes. The rabbi says, sure, no problem. And he gets up and he starts giving them this, this crazy, fiery, and if you do this, this is going to happen, and you can't do this. And like he's fire and brimstone. And as the rabbi, get, this rabbi from New York gets down, or New Jersey, gets down off the podium, he says to the rabbi, he says, somebody had to tell him like it is, and I know you wouldn't. <laughs> you fool! You fool! The Torah tells you, no, you don't tell it like it is. You have to calibrate your message according to the people. Hashem tells Moshe, the very beginning, before we start the whole conversation of getting the Torah, there's a way to tell the Torah over to men, there's a way to tell it over to women. There's a way to tell the Torah over to teenagers, there's a way to tell it over to people in middle ages. I gotta tell you, there's a way to tell the Torah over to Russians, there's a way to tell it over to Americans, for real. Like, there, there's just a difference. Russians are, they come from, a, from years and years of engineering. Every Russian's an engineer, right? I, think, I personally think engineer means high school diploma. Because every single Russian you speak to, my father was engineer, my mother was engineer. I'm like, okay, my mother also got a high school diploma. Like, I think that's what engineer means. Because like, it's impossible the entire Soviet Union was, was engineers. 
but no matter who you speak to, everyone was engineer, you know? So like they've got a very engineering type, type of brain, you know? So the way they were educated, everything was ones and zeros, and, you know, you, you have to talk to them like this, but then you have Americans. And Americans, it's all about feelings, you know what I'm saying? It's all about, so, Timmy, how'd you feel today? And what that make you feel like? And let's write an essay about how you felt about me asking you to write an essay about your feelings, you know what I'm saying? It's a different crowd. The Torah from the get-go says, Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld, the rabbi, the incredible rabbi founded the yeshiva that I went to, Sharyashev, he used to say such an amazing line. He said, sometimes I'll meet a person, and within five minutes, I know exactly what I need to tell him, but it takes it five years until he's ready to hear it. Could you imagine? You know what this guy needs to hear, but he's just not ready to hear it, so you hold on to it for five years! The sensitivity, the sensitivity, the beauty, the knowing your audience. No one has to be told it like it is. No, that's not true. You have, to, you have a responsibility on you to know who you're speaking to and saying it like they need to hear. Maybe not want to hear. The Gemara also says, by the way, the Gemara says, if you have this young rabbi who everybody in the community loves... It's not because he's the most amazing rabbi, it's because he never gives them proper rebuke. So sometimes you've got to say something that's not the most comfortable thing. You've got to know how you say it. You've got to know how you say it. There's no such thing as you've got to say it like it is. That's just not the truth. The Torah, from the very beginning of the Torah being given to the Jewish people, Hashem says, Moshe, I want you to say it like this to the women. I want you to say it like this to the men. I want you to know your audience. I want you to stay in your lane. So we have to make sure we know our audiences. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Let's just recap the important lessons. Make sure you're busy. And more importantly, that your children and grandchildren are busy. Number two. Recognize that when you make the right choices, the difficult choices, there will come a time later in your life where you'll be so happy that you made that and say, thank God that you saved me from who I would have been had I not made those choices. Uh, we talked about the importance of finding God in the amazingness of nature and reading about God, filling yourself with wonder. If you, if you, you don't have to even, that's the amazing thing, you don't have to leave Michigan. You can literally, today, Baruch Hashem, online, you can watch videos about almost anything and learn about, there's so many people sharing their real knowledge that you can learn about the biology of a termite to a woodpecker to, a, to a, an, an otter. Just learn, just read, just find out the fascination of how these things are and be filled with wonder at God that will give you more faith. And of course, to remember that we have a responsibility not to say it like it is, but to say it like people need to hear it. And that was the very foundation of how the Torah was given over and it's the foundation of how we have to act today. Thank you for coming, thank you for listening, and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.